in John 4, we read this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you wouldn't have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together.
Lord, what an, what an encounter that was on that day. Will you today give us just a sense of what was taking place? Why you chose her in that place? And why you have chosen for us today to study this same passage? Will you teach us Move us, give us hearts that can have faith in this, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to go through this as much as possible, verse by verse today. That's not always how, how we do sermons here, but some passages uh, kind of, in my view, uh, uh, demand for us to do that, and this is one of those. So somebody earlier was making fun of my outline uh, in the worship guide, and, uh, you know, when you only work one day a week, what do you expect? Uh, <laughs> so let's pick up uh, in, in this passage. That, was, that shouldn't have been so funny to you people. <laughs> Receive the benediction. Uh, <laughs> now when uh, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing uh, more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Now, just to orient you in terms of uh, the geography, uh, Judea is going to be in, in the south, and uh, there you find Jerusalem and Bethlehem, and then Galilee is going to be up, up north, and there you will find uh, Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee, so you have these, these two regions, and right in between is Samaria. Okay, so geographically, uh, this makes sense, but I'm, I'm not sure this statement should be explained just geographically. Um, it, it makes uh, sense to get uh, to Galilee from Judea, verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. Uh, why, why would that be said? Well, here's, here's the thing. He didn't have to pass through Samaria. In fact, most Jews didn't pass through Samaria when they would make that trek to the, the, uh, from the south to the north or from the north to the south. Uh, most would go around Samaria so that they didn't have to be around Samaritans. Now, why is that? Well, let's talk about Samaria for a minute. Uh, Jesus and the disciples went right through. Why would others go around? What was wrong with the Samaritans or Samaria? Uh, it goes all the way back to the 8th century B.C. And uh, the Assyrian Empire uh, conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. And after they conquered that kingdom, they 
took the Jews away, vacated, and brought in Gentiles in their place. Those Gentiles brought with them their own religion, their own gods. But in addition to that, they decided that they would worship the local God as well, the God of the Jews. And so they had a mixture of Judaism and paganism. And they, they put those two together. And so there, there obviously was tension because what they were doing was impure. It was bad in every way from a Jewish uh, perspective. They developed what some called their own brand of Judaism. One rabbi uh, taught it this way. He that eats the bread of the Samaritans is like one that eats the flesh of swine. You get that? Now, we don't think eating the flesh of swine is that bad here in, in the South. We, we do that all the time. Pigs, yeah, pork, all right? But for them, that was unclean. And so he's saying, you know, if you even eat anything that they've prepared, you're unclean too. So Jesus here begins to smash through a cultural barrier. For one thing, just by the route he took. Now, that's why many traveled around Samaria. But it says he had to pass through Samaria. The reason he had to pass through Samaria is that he had an appointment with someone at a well in Samaria. And that person didn't even know yet that they were going to be involved in that appointment. So that's why he had to pass through Samaria. Verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It's about the sixth hour. Now there's several things here. Uh, that well was said to have been dug by Joseph himself, uh, which would have been almost 2,000 years earlier. And uh, it was an important place. Uh, they, they had used it consistently during that time. Uh, that well had provided. They saw Jacob as uh, one of their fathers in their faith, which also caused resentment, by the way. But they would, uh, the Samaritans would, would see that, uh, and uh, it had provided for them down through the centuries. Now, keep that fact in mind as the conversation goes on. But I don't want us to pass over the next phrase here where it says, So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. 
It's about Jesus' weariness. Jesus, who is, who is God incarnate in the flesh. And so here's, here's what we, we need to, to take away. This isn't the main point of this, but it's, it's here. Is that some of you come here today and you're weary. You're, you're weary not just from last night maybe, but weary in life. You're tired. He gets it. He knows what that feels like. He was tired and he was thirsty. It says it was about the sixth hour, which is that would they start counting from 6 a.m. So that's high noon. When we went to Israel, they, they told us all you need to wear hats because of, we were there in the springtime too. It wasn't the hottest time. Wear hats because of the sun. Wear sunscreen. Uh, you know, cover up, uh, stay hydrated. And so uh, we'd get off the bus and go to some site and have, you know, we, we'd all scramble and elbow and everything to get under the tree, you know, so that we were in the shade. And, uh, and then we'd be taught something. And then we would go straight back to the air-conditioned bus. And every time I got on the bus, I bought another bottle of water right there. Well, that's, that, that was life for them. They, they traveled. This was uh, a, a difficult thing. And so Jesus was just tired. And yet he had this appointment. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. When you see parentheses, uh, you wouldn't see that in the original language, but these, these are good assumptions here that this is kind of an editorial comment by, uh, by John here as he's telling what's, what's going on. Now, the, the question that if we know this area of, of the world would be, why was the woman there in the middle of the day? Most women came early morning or in the evening when it was cooler. And they, if they came in the morning, they were getting water for the rest of their day. If they came in the evening, they were getting water for that evening and for the next day. And yet, this woman comes, not with a group of women, which would be typical, but by herself in the middle of the day. Could she have been avoiding the other women of the village for some reason? Well, if you know the account, you know that that was the case. Verse 9 then, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, That last statement that's in parentheses, at least in my version, uh, that's an understatement. To have dealings with uh, Samaritans was a taboo, and to deal with them 
you were, you were breaking with a, not just tradition, but the whole idea of, of cleanliness. They were unclean. You could risk disfellowship with uh, other Jews. So that's why she was surprised. She was used to that. If, any, if, if you, you did see any Jews coming through their territory, she would have been used to being avoided, never spoken to by them, much less any other kind of interaction. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's uh, saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then it continues. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well's deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. So let's start with uh, that question. Are you greater than our father Jacob? So the question is, you know, if, here he is, he basically dug this well and it has provided all the water that we have needed all of these years. Are you greater than him? And of course the answer he's about to give is, well, yes. But he explains why. And Jacob would have said, Oh, yes, he is greater. He explains, verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You get it? I, yeah, I don't want to be thirsty again, but I really don't want to have to come here. I don't want to have to come here in midday, and, and I, I, I wouldn't come here when the other women from this town are around. So she wasn't seeking Christ so much as she was seeking what he could give her and what would be convenient for her. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we, we talked about how none seek God until they're given a new heart, until they're, they're born again, and then they seek God. Now, when I preach that, some of you might have wondered, well, wait a minute, I... I have this friend who's, who's seeking God, or I remember I was, I was kind of seeking him. And in that same sermon, I said, look, if, if you want Christ, then that means the only reason you want him is because he must have already given you a new heart. That's where the want comes from. But it does appear that there are some who are without Christ that seek him in some way, even though the Bible says, Romans 3, 11, there are none who seek God. 
Thomas Aquinas uh, addressed that. He said, such people are not actually seeking God, but seeking something to fill some kind of an emptiness in their soul. People desperately search for what they think will fill the hole in their soul. And some will try anything, even all the while while they're running from God. So they will try anything but God. Let's see. Look at what this woman sought. Jesus begins to kind of hone in so that she's going to see what she was actually seeking after to, to fill that hole. Jesus, verse 16, said to her, go call your husband and, and come here. Now, he already knew her mess, but he's about to unfold it or let her recognize that he's already unfolded it. Verse 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So right away, what we see here is that that she has tried to fill her loneliness basically with a series of men. This one. This one will fill that hole that's in my soul, and then he didn't. And so she was on to the next one, and the next through five husbands. And then maybe assuming, well, marriage won't ever fulfill that hole in my soul, so I won't even get married to this one. But the hole was still there. And she was still in need. When Jesus uh, says, what you've said is true, I love this response of this woman. The woman said to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> now, uh, well, let me read the rest. Our, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem uh, that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Uh, what, what I love about that response is that she doesn't even acknowledge what Jesus said here. She doesn't deny it either. In fact, to not deny it by saying, you must, you must be a prophet, is basically saying, well, you nailed that, you know. How'd you know all that? Well, you must, you must be a prophet. So, here it appears that she's going to try to change the subject. Now, I get that. In fact, if I was, 
If I was in, standing in front of a prophet and he began to recite my sins out loud, I would change the subject too. <laughs> and that's, that's what we, we see here, basically. She's almost like, uh, for those of you that have had children, you know what that's like at bedtime, right? That's where the, the great theological questions that theologians have studied and argued with you know, down through the centuries, and somehow your child knows those questions because they're trying to get you off track. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to stop saying, go ask Pastor Weldon when you see him. <laughs> now look, verse 21, then Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Now, I don't know whether you caught this, but he's basically saying to her, you're an agnostic. You worship what you don't know. He's penetrating right to where that hole is in her heart and in her soul. Now, it's my, uh, well, let's, let's go on with verse 23. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And I've, I've preached on this portion of, of this a, a number of times. But here's what I want us to catch here. It, it is my contention that Jesus was not one bit distracted. She thought she was in control of the conversation. She might have been used to that, being able to change the subject at the right time to avoid really dealing with difficult things. The woman wasn't in charge of the conversation, but what was happening was that Jesus was taking this conversation to the most important thing. And the most important thing is acknowledging who Christ is and true worship of the true and living God. Those, those are, are the most important thing. Jesus wasn't worried about cleaning up her life and then come see me and we'll talk about a relationship with God. And he shows that here. In fact, it's the other way around. He exposes that he knows all about her junk. And then he puts that on the side burner 
Because it's not about her fixing all those things to get good enough for God. She would never get good enough to come to Christ if that were the case. Instead, he says, look, I know all about that, but I want to give you some some living water that is eternal life. And he knew exactly who he was talking to. Her life would be cleansed, but it would not be before coming to Christ, but after. Those things, that mess that she had made of her life, not that everything's fixed immediately when you come to Christ, but they would be dealt with in a proper way. And verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now here is Jesus who we've already seen and we will see a number of times is is sometimes reluctant to reveal exactly who he is but he reveals himself to the woman as the Messiah. This is where we're going to pick up next week. Uh, But I want you to, to notice one thing, and that is that this woman had gone there to fill her water jar, but when she heard that, she was so excited she left her jar and went to town. That's where we're going to pick up. She went to a town where people despised her and looked down on her and she hid from, but that was more important at that moment. Now, let's look at some applications from this passage. First, don't miss Jesus' care for the souls of all kinds of people. There are are no barriers for those who need Christ. He crossed over a cultural barrier. He crossed over a racial barrier. And he crossed over a gender barrier. All in talking to this, this woman. I didn't make much of the gender barrier. But for Jesus to respectfully have a conversation with this woman was in and of itself countercultural. And I think too often Christianity takes a bad rap in terms of uh, uh, women and what some perceive as a, a Christian perspective on women, men and women, and particularly those who who may not like what, what the Bible says about roles for men and women in, in the home and in the church. But what we need to understand is that, that it was Christ and it was Christianity that lifted women from a terrible place in this society where they lived. Jewish Religious men would daily, we've already talked about the Samaritan thing, they would daily thank God that they weren't a Samaritan 
But they also prayed this, Blessed art thou, O Lord, who has not made me a woman. That shows you the kind of society that was there. A rabbi would lose his reputation if he spoke publicly with a woman, even if that woman was his wife or daughter. And yet here is Jesus in the middle of town at midday, unashamedly having a lengthy and respectful conversation with a woman that even the women in town wouldn't speak to. Jesus broke cultural, racial, and gender barriers. The followers of Christ should do likewise. Secondly, look at Jesus' focus on what really was most important. As I said earlier, he wasn't distracted. Worship is the most important thing. I have to tell you that if, if someone had, uh, I was in a conversation with someone like this, and they had done that to me and, you know, taken a, a left-hand turn that seemed to be going nowhere where I, I thought we were headed, I would have said, hey, don't change the subject. Let's, you know, let's finish that subject, and then we'll, we'll go, go on to another. Instead, Jesus pursued it. He goes right with it. Whether she was being evasive or not, Jesus never brought up the adultery again. Was he distracted or did he intend to go there all along? That's what I'm convinced of. That's where he was headed all along. So rather than worship being a little side issue that a convicted sinner dodges the Savior with, I believe Jesus is showing us that, that worship rightly understood is a life issue. She asks where to worship, and Jesus says the key is not where you worship, but who and how. And he instructs in that way. His emphasis is that, that the Father is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, in the Holy Spirit, and according to the truth as revealed in the Word of God. Spirit-filled worship of a God who is spirit. According to the, the revealed truth of the, the one who is truth. And who it says wants to be worshipped. So it's not us seeking God to worship. This says... The Father is seeking us. The hound of heaven wants us. Let's pray. That's amazing.
oh Father, that you would seek. You don't, you don't need us. You don't have a, a hole in your soul. You are perfect. It is us. It is we that need you. And so, Lord, will you cause your spirit to move us to belief, to trust in Christ alone for eternal life. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.